<laughs> sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. What up, my homies? You ready to get spanked? Anytime you're ready. Gary Hoffman. You're a nice guy, but you're a lightweight, and I know for a fact that you pee sitting down. Shannon Farron. She's the most interesting woman in the world. Wait, I'm sorry, what is this show now? I will tell you, but only if you grab onto something to brace yourself, because you are going to hit the effing floor. Gary and Shannon. Oh, yeah. Then yeah, no, I get it now. Game of Thrones, the royal baby, or nothing. That's how I feel this morning. I didn't, I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't finish Game of Thrones. I didn't start it. Okay, well, so, it's but like I, an not, hour and a half episode I'm not going to talk about it. Oh, was it? Yeah. Did you see the coffee cup? Have you seen that? I've that, heard yeah. about the coffee cup. Hilarious. Didn't notice it. I, I'm assuming I've already seen that part because I saw the first half. up in arms it. about this episode. I'm not going to go into details. Well, maybe I'm, I don't know what to be up at arms about yet. I, I, I had the minor discussion after the first half of the show last night. I said to my wife, it's a really well-made show. She goes, you have no idea what's going on, do you? <laughs> Not entirely. I mean, I uh, to be honest, I know, you know, they, spoiler alert, they beat the... No, 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 don't do that. I'm telling you right now. Uh, the, <laughs> the 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 blowback I got from saying uh, something last week was no uh, bueno. The hell you unleash. Yeah, let's not do that. Mm. Anyway. So we'll check in uh, across the pond, give Liz a call later on. I think she's already over this baby. I think she was over it a while ago. I think she was over the royal babies like two babies ago. Yeah. Ever since, uh, ever since uh, Charles came out with them with the wings... I think she's done with babies. The wings. Yeah. The wing ears, ear wings, whatever he had coming out of there. Uh, At the bottom of this hour, we're going to get an update. Uh, There was an aircraft carrier sent to the Middle East because Iran was apparently planning attacks on U.S. forces. We'll try to get to the bottom of that story. The USS Abraham Lincoln and a a bomber group that was sent over there. Um, Also, we're going to revisit the the, uh, Kentucky Derby from Saturday. Guess there were some, uh, some lot issues. of controversy going on there. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, that was a blind spot for my weekend. I never saw a moment of it. It yeah. takes about three and a half minutes to get up to speed on what happened. Good. So you're fine. Good. Well, have you seen that terrifying footage from the Superjet 100 in Moscow that tried to take off, was maybe hit by lightning, and then careened back onto that tarmac? This is a crazy. I, I 
saw the video itself, but I saw it out of context, and I didn't realize that this was a video of the plane crash that we were talking about from Moscow over the weekend. 41 people were killed. There were 78 people on board, and so a little more than half of them died in this. This was Russia's busiest airport, and the pilot says that it was a lightning strike. That combined with full fuel tanks that led to this fire. Most of those who died suffered smoke inhalation. Many had severe burns. You can see in the video the plane landing amid all of these flames with this trail of thick black smoke. And then the passengers leaving the plane on those emergency slides. And some of them have their carry-ons with them. As they were getting out of the plane, I don't... uh... I'm trying to think of anything I've traveled with that would be that important that I would feel like that was an option for me is to grab my carry-on. Right. A wife, yes. Kids, sure. But not my carry-on. In fact, they tell you repeatedly, don't... Don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, I'm probably well, in the confusion. And, You're... and here's the thing. I mean, some of the people who died were stuck on that plane. And uh, what happens if uh, some of the other people were able to get out quicker? Now, because somebody did not take their carry-on. It is interesting that you mention that because there is a guy who has been accused of uh, blocking the exits because of his size. Literally. A giant person. Um, this guy walked from the airport with a backpack he had rescued from the burning plane, prompting claims that he had blocked other passengers from escaping. Uh, the overweight Russian has become the focal point of anger after several passengers were seen retrieving luggage while others were trying to get out of the airplane. There is a stewardess, a flight attendant, who is being held up as a hero, Tatiana Kasatkina. Kasatkina? Sure. You do the Russian so much. Kasatkina. Yeah, you do it so much better. She was grabbing people by their collars and throwing them outside. Pushing them outside to safety. And this apparently was just luck of the draw where she was when this plane went down because there was another flight attendant in the back who died as he was trying to open a door at the rear of the plane. If you've seen the the footage, I think the most disturbing portion of it is that the airplane is is bouncing. I mean, it, it's coming in for a landing and it touches down at one point and then comes back up off the runway and goes back down all while the tail is on fire. Now, I've seen videos of small airplanes that will bounce on the runway, either because of uh, rough conditions or bad pilot training, whatever it is, but never a plane that size bouncing down the runway. Uh, That was one of a couple of big airplane stories over the weekend. The other one was from Friday. Pilots of a charter plane ran into a river at a Florida military base after they made a last-minute change to the runway where they would make the landing. The pilots on the uh, Miami Air International charter plane requested to change the air traffic controllers just before they landed at Naval Air Station Jacksonville on Friday night. It was a Boeing 737, and it was a 9,000-foot-long runway, so it looks like it had plenty of space. But there was a wire barrier that was set up to recover Navy airplanes in the instance that they couldn't land on a carrier during training. So there's, they had to only use a portion of the runway. And they said that the the weather was not great at the time. By the way, this was a charter plane coming in from Gitmo, a, a seven thirty seven coming in from Gitmo. Two um, dozen of the one hundred forty three passengers and crew members went to the hospital for minor injuries. And thankfully, basically, it was just that it slid off the runway into the river. But when the first alerts came down that there was a plane in a river 
that's never a good uh, never good indication. Uh, not a great headline that I saw first thing this morning about Boeing. Boeing turns out knew about the problems with that 737 MAX and the safety indicator light about a year before that Lion airplane crash. We'll talk about it when we come back. Also, we have your chance at $1,000 as well. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Remember, you're going to have to answer the phone. If you don't pick up, they move on and you don't win that $1,000. Your next chance to win is next hour and all through the first hour of the Conway Show tonight. Bottom of the hour, Brian Suits is going to join us, host of Dark Secret Place. We're going to talk more about the uh, the aircraft carrier sent to the Middle East uh, in response, it looks like, because there were some plans in the works for Iran or Iran-leaning groups to attack U.S. forces in the area. We'll talk about that. Also, next hour, this is going to be interesting. In Silicon Valley, they're trying to fight back against California wildfires by hacking it's a strange use of the uh, of the practice of computer hacking, but trying to figure out ways that we can get more information to more people in the event that there's another massive fire. And they use the example of uh, the fire up in Paradise last November as a, a way, as a, a testing ground, perhaps, ways that... We could find ways to do better. Otisville, New York, has a new resident. Michael Cohen has arrived at the prison. That's about 70 miles northwest of New York City. Of course, the president's ex-lawyer, Fixer. This is a three-year sentence for crimes including campaign finance violations related to those hush money payments. Looks like it's a beautiful part of New York. Yeah. Wonderful little wooded area. Beautiful springtime. All right. Things just got worse for Boeing. It turns out Boeing engineers knew about this safety alert problem for a year before telling the FAA. It looks like this information did not make it up the ladder. Boeing said that company engineers in 2017 identified that these alerts were not operating as intended. It was due to a software error. At the time, Boeing said it relied on standard internal procedures and conducted an internal review by engineers. And that review came up with the summation that the problem does not impact, adversely impact airline safety. Which clearly does not make any sense because it did impact airplane safety when Lion Air crash, uh, Lion Airplane went down. In Indonesia, Boeing says that senior Boeing leaders did not learn about the issue until after the Lion Air crash, that this was an issue that was just kept in the engineering circles and never made its way up the food chain. It's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. So the they knew about this, the timing of this. They said they knew about this issue, this cockpit safety alert problem, about a year before the crash in Indonesia. And then after the crash, they gave... Some airlines and pilots, partial explanations, inconsistent explanations. There was no one answer to the different organizations that needed the answers. Yeah, Boeing was telling different airlines months apart from one another about the cockpit alerts. This just seems like Boeing is so uh, unorganized. And it's it, it, how can a company like that? When it comes to something like plane safety, which is clearly the biggest thing they have to worry about. No, it's not. The biggest thing they need to worry about is uh, moving those planes and making money. That's what they worry about. That's why 
There may have even been some plausible deniability for senior Boeing officials who didn't know about this problem. I don't know about that. It'll be interesting because I had for a long time I've said in this context of the Boeing 737 MAX airplanes, the ones that are parked out in the desert now waiting for the software update, waiting for this to be fixed so they can get back into the fleets of Southwest and American and all these different airlines is – I've said I don't think people really are going to care much about what kind of an airplane they're on when they get in it. But the longer this goes on and the more information we find out about Boeing, who knew what, when they knew it, what information was then given to pilots, this is going to cause a massive crisis of confidence in Boeing products. And not just Boeing. I mean, I think one of the biggest bombshells was when we found out that the FAA is just in bed with uh, a lot of the airlines and and allows airlines to self-police themselves because the FAA isn't big enough to handle an oversight uh, of that of that size. Yeah. And don't forget, there is a criminal investigation into all of this. And there are questions about whether or not Boeing misled the investigators, misled regulators, misled customers. As recently as last week, they continued to be a problem here. And I got an email, I want to say last week when we were talking about the issue of Boeing, uh, saying something like, we're the ones who are idiots because we don't know how airplanes work. Listen, this goes beyond whether or not you and I have any idea what an MCAS system does or an angle of attack sensor or... I just like the pilots to know how it works. Yeah, I don't care if I know or not. I want the guy or the lady in the front of the plane to know how it works. And if they're the ones getting faulty information or incomplete or inconsistent explanations about what goes on in that airplane, then we're all in trouble. A spokeswoman for Southwest on Friday said that Boeing told the carrier about the inoperative alerts after the Lion Air crash. Southwest learned about the problem with the alerts by late November. They installed additional cockpit indicators late last year. Uh, Over the weekend, somebody talking on behalf of United said that Boeing first told the airlines about the software error toward the end of March, four months after they had told Southwest. And United had believed that the alerts were part of an optional package that declined, but eventually learned that the Boeing 737 MAX airplanes actually did have the feature already installed. It just wasn't working. Remember, the Seattle Times did a big investigation and talked to a lot of Boeing engineers, and they reported that there was a lot of pressure to get these things out the door and yeah. fulfill those orders to beat out Airbus. Yeah, it just it's a, it's a little uh, worrisome, probably the best word to put it, a little worrisome. And uh, potentially a massive, massive problem for Boeing in the years coming. All right. Coming up next, United States is deploying an air, uh, aircraft carrier strike group and bomber task force to the Middle East. But some are saying this isn't in response to anything. This is just a Tuesday. Yeah. Or, well. A Monday. It's Monday. Somewhere it's a Tuesday. Mm, yeah. Let's see where it's Tuesday. <laughs> I'd like to go there. <laughs> I'd like Shannon to skip this day. <laughs> Just a moment. Baby, be the class clown. I'll be the beauty queen in tears. It's a new iPhone showing people out in the beach, yeah. Gary and Shannon. Remember that murder we were telling you about last week? The murder in Newport Beach of Wendy Miller and Darren Parch? Looks like the guy who killed them was set on more murder. I'll have an update coming up after Amy's news at the top of the hour.
Hey, the uh, Duchess of Sussex has given birth. Whoopie freaking do! There's a lot of babies up in that. No, up there was that, just up in one. that royal family. Well, yeah, that's what I meant. I didn't mean that. It was been, just the one baby. Been crude, if I said it that way. But there's another baby. So I don't know if we don't have a name yet. I don't know what the process is for them telling us. What well, the, name the will Queen's got to figure out what that kid's name is. You know, a Duke or whatever, a Duke of like what the title will. Yeah, be? I think that's up to the Queen. I don't know. I'll talk to her about it later. Excellent. I think she and I are on the same page where we're just a little bit over the inundation of news. (laughs) The uh, top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee is calling uh, the effort to hold William Barr in contempt of Congress illogical and disingenuous. Georgia Congressman Doug Collins said the Democrats have launched a proxy war smearing the attorney general when their anger actually lies with the president. And special counsel Robert Mueller. Talk more about that in Swamp Watch today. We've got an aircraft carrier strike group and bomber task force headed to the Middle East on short notice, according to a U.S. official, saying that this is in response to clear indications Iran and Iranian proxies were planning an attack on us in that area. Brian Suits hosts a dark secret place, also the prism through which we look at issues like this. Brian, what's going on with all of this? I suggest the Duke of Rock. Isn't that? Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be fine. That'd be. I could, the and then Duke you, of Rock. You could name him something. Uh, his name, like Dwayne, the Duke of Rock. Mm. So here's the deal. Um, you you guys are going to get the inside dope that I've I've scanned everything. CNN, MSNBC, Fox, everyone today. None of them can either find out or know that the USS Abraham Lincoln. <clears throat> is currently already in the Mediterranean and was scheduled to be in the Persian Gulf in a few weeks anyway, you, you have this impression when you watch cable news, especially the, the dyed-in-the-wool, you know, drink-from-the-fire-hose anti-Trump MSNBC, that you have thousands of sailors, you know, scrambling to kiss their babies and run up a gangway, you know, in Norfolk, Virginia, and like, like, uh, like the beginning of Crimson Tide, and Gene Hackman is yelling at them from the bridge or something, no, no. The USS Abraham Lincoln is currently off of Sicily. You know, it's it's they're not easy to hide. This is part of a regular deployment, um, and they're going to head to the Persian Gulf. Where, by the way, there's already a assault uh, amphibious ship. What, what anyone else would call a carrier, the USS Kearsarge, is there with twelve stealth fighters, twelve F-35s, Marine F-35s. Um, and this is, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to pay you guys a compliment of just pay, telling you the truth and to the KFI audience, this is a pure political maneuver for the mega base. This is just announcing something that everyone else knew. And the back, the back, uh, push or pushback on this is that the Iranians know this, so they're not scared and they're not intimidated. They knew that Lincoln was coming to the Persian Gulf anyway, and they look at this and they go, well, why would he make this announcement? Why would Bolton make this breathless announcement uh, as if it's a scramble at a fighter base or something? And it's purely, you know, chest dumping uh, for, for the, the MAGA base, for the, for the Trump base. The bombers, the so-called persistent bomber presence, which has been going on, um, in, on from Guam to North Korea now for several years, um, that's a slightly new thing, but that was also planned. I mean, you just, you really don't drop this information on the Pentagon and say, make it happen. It, it just doesn't happen like this. This was planned a long, long time ago, and it was available the open source, the OSINT, open source intelligence. But, you know, I'm, I'm screaming into the wind and I'm rolling my eyes. But, uh, so now you guys know, and everyone listening knows, 
you know, don't don't be impressed by this. We were already going to do it. Have there been escalations from Iran? Um, the Iranians want the, the few Americans that are still in Iraq, and actually not few. There's there's a lot of Americans from the the post you know ISIS in Syria thing is over, but helping reinforce the Iraqis so that there's not another ISIS invasion that's ongoing and it's a NATO mission. The Iranians want it out, and there's a very strong rumor that they want a uh, a day of blood. There's an upcoming uh, uh, revolution holiday in Iran, and they want to they want to use their Iraqi proxies, their Iraqis, to to kill, to basically do a Somalia, do a single day to kill as many Americans as possible, and then it's in the news. It embarrasses Trump, and people say, "Wait, what? You know what? Why are the why were those guys uh, sitting there in t-shirts at a Starbucks in Baghdad? You know what? What the hell?" And this has been an on this has been an ongoing intelligence point for a couple of months. So the Iranians want us out of Iraq. They consider Iraq a province of Iran, and they want they want to create a headline where Americans say, "What the hell were those guys doing there?" So this is <clears throat> this is basically taking something that was already in the pile on the to do list and waving it around and saying, "Ah, see this? We're going to respond to it." Um, so I. You know, it sounds impressive and it pisses off MSNBC, but I'm just saying, you know, this this is not something that we didn't know about. What um, is there any connection between this announcement that came out and all of the weekend activity between Hamas and Israel? Um, I don't think so, because I, I would have drawn a direct line from A to B. If I were the administration, I would have simply announced, look, um, most of those rockets are homemade in the basement. So the ones that fly straight, true, long, and fast are from Iran. You need to stop it immediately and just draw that line instead of, you know, doing a, a, an okey-doke around a, a terrorist threat. But that is the truth. Hezbollah and Hamas are heavily resupplied by Iran. They literally fly them into Damascus, and they convoy them to, to Lebanon. And the, the, the rockets that actually hit where they're aimed are factory-made in Iran, ones that go, you know, spazooing off into a suburb of, of Gaza and kills a baby and its mother. Uh, those were made by, you know, some guy with a, a welder in, a, in his basement. The uh, Speaking of that, the IDF confirmed, I saw this tweet that you retweeted yesterday, uh, IDF confirmed 690 rockets fired from Gaza into Israel, about uh, maybe a third of them, I guess, shot down by the Iron Dome system. That's that's yeah. a, that's a stunning number, even for just a, a weekend, you know, in first of May. Yeah, and and Hamas sort of learned a lesson that they probably should have figured out a couple of years ago, and it's the, the Achilles heel of the Israeli Iron Dome system, which is really an amazing system, but it has an Achilles heel, and that is if you overwhelm it in at you know uh, towards one target, uh, the the Israelis can't be everywhere at once, and the. Iron Dome system looks at the ballistic path of rockets, and it it predicts where it's going to land, and then it makes a determination. Uh, is it densely populated and therefore a priority, or is it an onion field? And, and just let it explode. That's what it does. So if you actually are able to accurately target an urban area and you shoot enough missiles, the Iron Dome system is limited by how fast can the crews reload the things. And they can reload them pretty fast, but it's way easier when Hamas shoots them in onesies and twosies. But when they shoot them in hundredsies, like they did 
um, or early early Cinco de Mayo uh, yesterday, they overwhelmed the Iron Dome system, and they proved a concept that the Iranians have been trying to teach them, uh, which is don't waste them in ones and twos. Blow them all off at once, and you're going to overwhelm the system. And that's what happened yesterday, and it revealed this Achilles heel. But the Israelis did a great job. You know, they still lost four people, and then we found out that the the so-called woman and infant who were killed, the infant was actually killed by a Hamas rocket, uh, and because the, the, the woman miscarried, another older woman was killed. I, I was incorrect. It wasn't a mom and baby. A mom miscarried. Uh, the infant died. An older woman died. We know this because the woman has applied for martyr status for her child because that comes with a really big death gratuity from Hamas. They, they will scholarship you to send your kids off to die. They do that. It's, right. it, so, I mean, you can turn the cynicismometer way up past 11, and you've got Hamas. Brian, thank you so much. Appreciate it. The Duke of New York is already taken, yeah. remember, mm. from Escape from New York? That's done. Yeah. I still so have to Duke see that movie. Love. And Duke of they Love is probably not available? The or Duke of Love. You know it's going to be a good-looking kid. Ah. Uh. Oh, are you serious? I don't know if Harry is the one that I'm... Uh, she's she fine, yes. Your son has red she's, hair. I didn't say red hair is the thing that makes him ugly. Okay. It's more the Charles part of it. That, I don't know if Charles is the father. I mean, I, 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 a, I'm all oh, in no, with that bodyguard uh, narrative. Not, yeah. Yeah. Right, thank yep, you. Not Harry. Thanks, Brian. All right, coming up next, a 65 to 1 horse wins the Derby. Oh, what but not without happened? controversy. What happened? We'll get into it. Gary and Shannon will continue. Some people got the real problems. Some people I don't love. Some people think I can solve them. Lord, heaven's above. I'm only human after all. Don't you love those stories about people and their... And they're uh, twilight years when okay. they reconnect. Yeah. And we got the story of that man. He's 81 years old, married his high school sweetheart after reconnecting with her. Mm-hmm. It's a very sweet story. Does it make your heart... Until he goes missing. Oh. Just weeks later. And then you think something nefarious has happened. That's why we can't have nice things. Can't have nice stories like that. It's a catch at the end. Uh... L.A. County Health Authority say one of the most recent local cases of measles involved somebody who visited uh, some very popular tourism locations like, oh, I don't know, the Grove, the original farmer's market. You guys, we're going to have to get booster shots. If you're over 30, you're going to have to get a booster shot because of the measles. Kids in there don't have to worry about it, but we got to think about it. What do you? I think you can just go to like the CVS or something for that. I don't think you need to go in to your to your doctor. I mean, I don't know. I should actually medical advice. Look that up before I start talking about it. I'm sorry, Uh, radio. Uh, So Saturday, Kentucky Derby. So everyone is uh, is super happy about that, right? I right. mean, it's a nine to two favorite, nine million dollars on this horse. But there was a very ominous announcement right after maximum security crosses the finish line, and it was this: results are not final. Hold your tickets. Yes. 
And so for 15 minutes, this went on of them reviewing the tape. Another example of these modern replay review systems and how they are altering the outcome of massive sporting events. And by the way, I am not saying I'm an expert in horse racing by any means. I did not see what they would consider the interference they on said, behalf. But they it, said that he interfered with as many as three horses coming off that final bend, that he cut them off and effectively reduced their speed, a, a, a violation of the rules. And the thing is, is this happens, but it's not called. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you would never see that from the stands. If you're, no. if you're a spectator, you're there in Kentucky, you're watching this. You would never but here's, see this. Here's the thing. The jockeys know what's going on down there, yeah. and they cried foul. And they said, in fact, that the move that Maximum Security did, if another jockey did not respond the way that, that he did, it could have taken out a lot of horses. And what is horse racing concerned with right now? Santa Anita and what happened with all those dead horses. So they want to be seen as looking out for the horses on this kind of a stage. This ended up being the announcement about 15 minutes later, at least on TV. Yes! They did. So for the first time in the history of the Kentucky Derby, the horse that crossed the line first has been disqualified. So they actually put maximum security 17th out of the 19 horses uh, that, that started ending the four-race win streak that, uh, that maximum security was on. There are questions about now whether or not they're going to uh, take and run him in uh, the Preakness. Well, what's the point now uh, yeah, if I'd... you're not running for the Triple Crown? The president tweeted that the Kentucky Derby decision was not a good one. It was a rough-and-tumble race on a wet and sloppy track, actually. A beautiful thing to watch. Only in these days of political correctness could such an overturn occur. The best horse did not win the Kentucky Derby, not even close. Political correctness. (laughs) At first, I couldn't see it either, but I saw a replay, and you can see the horse that it's cutting off. Its hooves are hitting the back of maximum security's legs. There was contact. I didn't yeah, know that. Like you can I, see its yeah. legs hitting as wow. it's as it's striding. Well, and and like Shannon said, the clearly if the jockey on that second horse wasn't able to correct the way that he was, then there could have been a it could have been a disaster because they were in the front. There were fifteen horses behind them. That thing could have gone nuclear very quick. So I read this uh, paragraph, which gets me right back out to the track at my earliest convenience. <laughs> yes. Country House, 65 to 1, paid $132 to win, 56 to place, 24 to show. If you bet that $2 exacta, you would have gotten $3,000. The trifecta paid uh, $5,700. There was one guy uh, who in... I guess it was at the Mirage in Vegas. Yeah, he turned uh, four superfectas into uh or no he got two he had two superfectas right two identical four dollars superfectas yeah they paid fifty one thousand four hundred dollars each the so mirage about, about 40 after taxes the uh mirage shift manager says it was a miracle he must have been a saint in a previous life running into buildings to get babies or something for everything <laughs> to happen for him to cash those tickets <laughs> uh and especially if you're one of those guys where i mean if he's if he's holding these tickets and you're just Champing, using the pun here uh, perfectly, champing at the bit in a sports book in Vegas, watching this, waiting for the the official. I don't think he was doing that. I know this guy. I am this guy. If he's got two matching superfectas, he's filled out superfectas about nine different 
variations oh. and combos. So, so he's watching that, and he has no idea what he's hoping for because he's he's spread his bets across the board through through the field. There, he bet he probably had a bet on every one of those horses. So even if he did come out with seventy eight thousand after taxes, you're saying his net was going to be probably closer no. to about fifty because he bought he dropped no. so much money. No, I'm saying that that's the beauty of superfectas. You can spend four dollars, you know, or uh, let's say he spent. Uh, Sixteen dollars or whatever, and then he could do four different combinations. Oh, I see. So it's, it's, it's just a really cheap way to bet that pays off quite handsomely. But the thing is, is you never hit those. Never hit the superfecta. No. You you can do like a, you can do like a, I think like a twenty five cent superfecta, or no, it's fifty cents. I've done that a couple times. Even that. I mean, the, if- that's when the day has gone bad at the track. <laughs> when I'm getting into the fifty cent <laughs> superfecta bets, and You're I'm just betting across save, the board. <laughs> save face. Honey, uh, it wasn't a horrible day at the track. All right, when we come back, a double murder suspect that we told you about from Newport Beach. Police are now saying this guy wanted to do a whole lot more damage than just two dead bodies. We'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. Anything new on that baby? Uh, Meghan Markle's mother was there when uh, Meghan gave birth to the seven-pound, three-ounce boy. I guess Harry did a uh, quick press oh. statement, and it was really cute. Yeah. Like, he was super excited, and he's like, I don't know how women do this. And he said he uh, looked really cute and excited. He said he was very proud of his wife. Yeah. Really, I don't know if I would. uh, I don't. Well, she doesn't have weird words. She doesn't really have options, does she? There's a baby in there, and it's got to come out, right? Uh, But I think that's sweet that he acknowledges the hell that is childbirth. Yes, and that's I think the better way to put it. Like I don't believe how I can't believe I would have passed out six times. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was amazing, absolutely incredible. As I said, I'm so incredibly proud of my wife, Um, and as every father and parent would ever say you know your your baby is absolutely amazing but this little thing is 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 absolutely to die for so i'm just over the moon little thing and that's sweet ah the royals they're so cute yeah just wait till that thing wakes him up at three in the morning hey coming up in the one o'clock hour the atlantic has done a deep dive on munchausen by internet this is all about the cancer faking people out there in the world just for uh just for attention, huh? Attention, sympathy, money, the whole bit. There is a uh, guy who was a, before a judge this morning at the Harbor Justice Center, Newport Beach, Jamin Bugs from Huntington Beach. Didn't enter a plea in the deaths of a couple of people. 48-year-old Wendy Sue Miller of Costa Mesa, 38-year-old Darren Parch of Newport Beach. Their bodies were found about 9.30 at night on April 21st by da- uh, Darren Parch's roommate, in uh, near Irvine Avenue, I guess the uh, Via Siena apartment complex. Police believed that he was going to murder more people before they were able to grab him. That he was spotted in Irvine on the balcony of a home. 
And a resident told a detective that this guy was looking for a specific man he thought had been involved with his ex-girlfriend. The guy that was there had the same name as the guy he was looking for, but looked nothing like him. Turns out he was an Asian uh, dude. So he left. But he was looking for somebody else to to murder. And that's what the story was. We found out about this guy, that he was uh, he had some issues with an ex-girlfriend and may have may have talked about threats on on the people that she went on to date or see after him yeah and there were allegations that he was stalking her that he was trying to get a hold of her there were also counter allegations he was saying she was the one who was crazy he was saying she was the one that he didn't trust around his kids but in connection with the murder charges he's got attempted break-in charges attempted burglary of an inhabited dwelling discharge of a gun at an inhabited dwelling possession of a firearm leading on a police chase all of these felonies hit and run property damage sentencing enhancement allegation being armed with a gun in the commission of a felony i mean this guy's got a laundry list of things going against him the initial attempted break-in, they said, happened about 11.30 at night on April 20th. But the burglar, whoever it was, ran off when somebody heard the second-story balcony problem. Uh, they heard something going on up there and made eye contact with the suspect. And then while running away, they say that Jamin Bugs fired a bullet into the residence. And then another one, about six hours later, at 5 in the morning the next day in the vicinity of Harvard Avenue and Branca Parkway. And they had surveillance video that showed somebody leaving when he failed to open the door. It was about uh, 12 in the morning, 12.15, April 22nd, Irvine police saw a suspicious vehicle, tried to pull him over, and that was Jamin Bugs. He refused, led officers on a short chase, uh, bailed out of the car after he hit a parked car, and then broke into someone's house, and that's where they eventually caught him. It's still bizarre how he was able to kill wendy miller and darren parch and what the connection was if anything we first learned about wendy miller when we got a couple emails from listeners saying hey this woman she's from costa mesa she hasn't been seen all weekend and in fact they had a gathering and a memorial for her on friday and they talked about what she did on the last day of her life that it was kind of par for the course when you when you learned about Wendy, that she went with a friend and her son to church uh, in Dana Point to celebrate Good Friday. She sat with her friend who was struggling with a professional or a personal crisis, and she held her hand. Wendy held her friend's hand throughout the service, prayed for her and her son. They go out for pasta dinner, and then they go to um, a place that's got 80s music, and they're, and they're dancing. And and the friend said, we did three things Wendy loved all in one night. We, usually we only have the energy to do one, but that the last day of her life was kind of all of her favorite things in terms of, of God and dancing and going out to dinner with friends and all of that. And then she went to Sandpiper Bar in Laguna Beach, and she had met Darren that night, and she was driving him home, and then they turn up dead in his apartment. And they and, and they thought there was a connection because she did work for domestic violence victims and the killer obviously has some domestic violence issues in his past. But then they said there's no connection there, but they haven't talked about if there was a connection to Darren. Um, you know, but, maybe if Darren was involved somehow with his ex-girlfriend, you know, or, and or Wendy in, was just, you know, in the wrong place, wrong time. And he was he didn't know a lot. I mean, like you said, one of the break ins, he was looking for somebody who was supposedly dating the ex-girlfriend. He had the name right. Yeah. 
but that it was you know people can have the same name and be completely different people. Um, like he wasn't he he hadn't figured out exactly who the person was or where they lived. So this could be a case of mistaken identity. Well, then remember they said that there were no signs of forced entry. Yeah. Which, Which makes it bizarre. It, but if he was making, if if he's doing these burglaries or these break-ins by getting in through balconies, there's a chance that either the window's open or the sliding glass door is open, something like that. That's true. Which would then not look like he broke in, but uh, still be able to lock up and, and close up. So anyway, the guy was in court today, not guilty. This is going to drag on for a while until they can uh, get him in trial. We have a missing 81-year-old millionaire who had just had a bit of a feel-good love story. Before he went missing. We also have a thousand dollars that we're going to be giving away. That's going to make you feel better. I promise. Yes. Gary and Shannon will continue just a moment. If you win that thousand dollars, they will call you. So got to make sure you answer the phone, even if it is from a number you don't recognize. Another chance an hour from now. In fact, we give away $1,000 once an hour, Monday through Friday, from 5 in the morning with Jonesy and Wake Up Call all the way through the first hour of the Conway Show right here on KFI. Investigators in Orange County are renewing their calls for information. This case is one of the longest-running unsolved murders in Orange County. And it's all about a man named Robert Herod. Robert Herod was married to his wife, Georgia. Georgia died in 2008. And the following year, he reconnects with a high school sweetheart. And her name is Fontel. And they reconnect and they hit it off and they get married. And then he goes missing. The last time Robert was seen, he was 81 years old. And it was Monday, July 27th, 2009. It's important to note that Robert is worth millions as well. Robert is millions in assets and, and, and property. So it's July 27th, 2009. And he's doing work at his house there on Carnation Drive. And he's waiting for his wife, Fontel. She had just traveled to Missouri to settle all of her affairs, remember, because they're recently married. So he's with his son-in-law, a guy by the name of Jeff Michaels, that afternoon. Jeff Michaels leaves the residence at about 2.30 that afternoon, returns to the home about 30 minutes later, and he finds the maid is locked out of the home. This maid who's worked there for years. So he lets her in, and there's no Robert inside. He thought maybe Robert may have left to visit a neighbor or take a walk or something like that. But then he notices Robert's keys and wallet missing. Yeah. So Jeff, the son-in-law, doesn't necessarily think anything is wrong. I don't know if that would be a conclusion that you would jump to. Finishes the stuff that he was doing there at the house in terms of fixing it up and goes home. He lives in Running Springs just outside of San Bernardino. And... Robert Herod's daughter, uh, Michael's wife, Julie, tries to call dad, check in on him later that night, but he doesn't pick up. So she tells her sisters, and they get the idea, you know what we should do is we should contact the police because this is weird. And they ask Placentia police to do a welfare check at the house. And they, not surprisingly, just found the house empty. Jeff left. When when Jeff left, nobody else was there, so the house was empty. Ten years have passed, but nothing. 
Relatives initially thought that it was his barber that had something to do with the disappearance. But police found no evidence linking the barber to anything. And then it got a little dicey between the new wife and the daughters. Yeah. uh, All over a fight over his estate. She moved into her missing husband's home and changed the locks. But the daughters claimed she had no claim over his assets. However, notes were found written in his handwriting indicating that he intended to add his newlywed spouse's name to various accounts. She eventually moved out of that house about five years ago, most recently living someplace in Kansas. Now, Now you always got to follow the money with things like this. Yeah. And I think that's, well, there were a couple of arrests. Yes. Just last month, investigators picked up a couple of Placentia residents who were arrested, but later released in connection with this disappearance. They said that the arrests were made sometime in April. They weren't very specific about it. This was after an entire decade of investigation into what they believe is homicide. That's what they think they're working on now. Now, a spokesperson for Placentia Police, a sergeant, said that the two people described as persons of interest were recently taken into custody, but then released after some further investigation. They have not identified them. They have not discussed the circumstances around their arrest. Just because they didn't, um, just because they didn't keep them doesn't mean investigators don't believe they did it. There's a good chance that investigators have known about these people for quite a long time. There could be a number of reasons why they let them out eventually. I have a question. Mm. Say you uh, you remarry and you're married to this woman for less than a year. Your wife has just passed on. Mm-hmm. Um, does she get to make any sort of claim uh, on your on your assets or your home over your daughter's? If she's odd? married, if they're married, yeah, yeah. But would you, would you like if 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 I married an eighty-one-year-old down the line, and uh, he oh, goes lucky. missing, right? And you start throwing a I wouldn't start fit I, about. I wouldn't start demanding uh, assets over his daughters who have hey. been there. You know, I think we've learned that people are just cuckoo. People suck, I think. Yeah, is the takeaway. Yeah, I, I, I want to know more about this eighty-one-year-old guy you're going to marry. I mean, when I'm eighty, you know, eighty-one. How about when you're and eighty-two? I'm in, the, I'm in the home. You're eighty-two, and you're uh, you're looking for some young meat. Yeah, you think you think I'm going to be looking for some young meat? What is that? What's young meat at that point? Seven. Well, if you're eighty-two, he's eighty-one. Okay. That's young meat, younger, younger than you. Fine. My wife has that. She has an attraction to that. To younger. Yeah. She's like what? Four months older than you. Three and a half. Okay. So that's not what that is. That's you're not younger. Actually, less than three. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Less than three months. Yeah. Like like two months and three weeks. Okay. Coming up next. People suck. Next chapter. (laughs) No, this one is going to be how people can help each other. Even hackers, you know. Oh, they're helping. I thought that when I saw when I saw that they're targeting the the wildfires, I thought that they were going after people. No, we're going to look for the helpers. Oh, people are good. Chapter one. Yes, a very quick book.
Gary and Shannon will continue just a moment. Because we're going to do measles after that. Gary and Shannon. On a uh, Monday. It is May 6th. Is it... Is it Knight's Landing in uh, Game yeah. of Thrones? Yeah, it is. Why? Because I just got an alert from Knight's Landing, no, no, no. California. King's Landing. Oh, King's Landing. right. Yeah, Knight's Landing's up in the uh, Delta somewhere, yes. right? Where did you get an alert for Knight's Landing? Is that a story? It's not a or? good story. Oh. It's a story about a bad accident. Oh. But here, fog, I've got some. Fog, right? I bet, you, I bet you it involves fog. It's it nice involved uh, alcohol, oh. vehicular manslaughter, and all bad things. But I have something else to tell you from Northern California. Okay. There is a new survey from Quality Logo Products Digest, whatever that is. It surveyed 2,700 Americans, and it found that San Francisco is one of the filthiest cities in the United States. Now, I, now let's, <laughs> this is like feces on the sidewalk aside. San Francisco is the number two city for people (laughs) (laughs) for people. No, 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 no. Listen, number two for people who shower or bathe the least often. Oh man, that they bathe fewer than six days a week. San Francisco also number two for people who wash their sheets the least often. (laughs) Nearly sixteen percent said they wash their sheets every two months or less. The city rank. Are you okay? Listen, it gets worse. The city ranks fourth for, for people who change their underwear the least often. Good lord! Six percent said they wear the same pair of underwear for four days or more. What? Wait a minute. So, but but if San Francisco is number two on a oh, couple of those lists, yeah, who's the worst? I don't know. Man. Uh. Okay. Maybe. I feel like I'm sweating now. Just to be clear, uh, wearing the same underwear for four days is a non-starter. Like, what are you doing? You, you, right? Would, we can all agree on that. I would rather go without for four yes. days than wear the <laughs> same for four days. God. <laughs> What's wrong with people? And then why... why uh, the, I don't know. What? What was your question going to be? I was going to say, why do people continue to go to San Francisco? <laughs> I don't. I I stopped going to the city. I used to go once a month or so. It's been two uh, years. It's been two years since I set uh, foot in the city. Every time I'd go visit my parents, I'd go to the city, you know, because I loved it. I love to go out and eat right. and walk around, and it's great. There's always stuff to do. And I haven't been in years Unless I have to go for an event. I think I'm at a graduation or something, but I don't go anymore. Uh, I just don't want to deal with that. A buddy and I have a trip planned in a month, a little more than a month, to go watch a baseball game. But we're not going to stay in the city. There's no way we're going to be there any longer than we have to. So we're going to drive up uh, about halfway and then Saturday morning drive up to San Francisco, get as close as we can to the ballpark without, you know, there's got to be a way to get there and then get out when that we're, we're not not stick around to say, hey, you want to have dinner in the city or something like that? 
uh-uh. No. It's so sad because it was such a great place, and they just let feelings ruin it. Uh, just south of there, Silicon Valley, there was a, a developed global challenge, an IBM Call for Code Global Challenge, which features software development competitions uh, from around the world. And this is an interesting way to look at this. Using um, computer hackers come with a sort of a negative connotation, so I'll just say computer code experts, perhaps. And the Call for Code hackathon for California wildfires drew about 100 different software developers to the campus of tuition-free engineering school, 42 Silicon Valley. That's what it's called, 42 Silicon Valley. It's a team-based contest to create applications specifically to deal with California wildfires that are getting hotter, that are burning longer, that are uh, becoming more destructive. One of the things that they wanted to do is they wanted to develop a sort of a notification system that would prevent what they said was the catastrophe that happened in paradise. Yeah, because it was too late for a lot of people to escape when when they realized what was happening. Yeah. Uh, also valuable, they say, would be software that can track missing people so that agencies and shelters don't waste time for people looking for people who are already accounted for. They want to see technology that would monitor first responders' core temperature, the level of hydration, carbon monoxide exposure. Which would be, I'm amazed that that hasn't happened already. I I feel like it does. I feel like there are some agencies that do have that. Built into whatever units that that they're wearing. Another one would have uh, allow emergency services and health workers to share encrypted patient reports between Android and Apple mobile operating systems. I mean, all of this stuff seems like... We should be able to develop this. And when you get these, you know, when you get young, uh, energetic, brilliant developers to and then dangle this as a challenge as opposed to a task, I think a lot of people are more interested in that. Once once you add the pressure of, you know, uh, let's see who can do this first and best as opposed to a government contract, which is simply, hey, by the end of the year, we need a program. It's just like Ready Player One. The challenge. Yes. Yes. Trying to see why that wouldn't work, but I think that does work brilliantly. Everyone had to find the Easter egg. That's right. The Easter egg. Um, There is a, um, there's one that's already working a a similar program. They developed a mobile communications network to use what small nodes that resemble rubber duckies uh, to connect disaster victims if, with first responders because uh, – or I should say when other systems go down. They're field testing this, in fact, in Puerto Rico ahead of hurricane season to see if they can uh, work the bugs out. So very cool. All right. Did you have measles? Congratulations. Are you under 30? Congratulations. Everybody else? Looks like we're going to have to get a booster shot because of these measles people. That's Gary- what I'm going to call them. These measles, measles people. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. <laughs> These measles people. <laughs> measles people. It sounds like something the president would say. An update from uh, the newsroom. Here's, uh, you're not one of those measles people, are you? I'm not a measles people. Excellent. Do we have a name on that baby yet? 
There's a couple of favorites. I think James is a new one. Alexander is one of the favorites, but they have not announced the name yet. The the baby is Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's baby, and they, it's officially seven pounds and three ounces of just joy. So seventh in line to the throne. Seven would be a perfect name for the kid. Uh, agree, agree. With like an an added Y, like a silent Y in it. Seven, four M's in a silent Q. A defense official says the United States is dispatching USS Abraham Lincoln and some other military resources to the Middle East after clear indications, they said, that Iran and some of their proxy forces are preparing to possibly attack U.S. forces in the region. Uh, John Bolton said Sunday night that the carrier strike group from the Lincoln and a bomber task force was sent to the U.S. CENTCOM region, Central Command, and that area does include the Middle East. Brian Suits was telling us last hour that in fact, this is a scheduled deployment. We're just doing a lot of uh, uh, strong talk to make it appear as if this is a specific reaction to a specific threat, which uh, is not really true, doesn't sound like. Measles, guys, they're back. The CDC has confirmed 704 cases, the largest number since the measles was declared eradicated in this country 19 years ago. Um, most cases have been in unvaccinated children. Kids under five, adults over 20, most likely to suffer complications. As the doctors say, it's not like that Brady Bunch episode, that measles can lead to a brain infection that leads to death. Okay? So, no bueno. <laughs> we have a friend who is a nurse uh, who shared a, a Facebook post over the weekend describing a an infant that was suffering from the measles. And it's not comfortable. I mean, it, it, there is a potential that it's that it's fatal, especially in younger and older people, obviously. But just it just looked miserable. I mean, it, the description of what the baby was going through, and it's the baby was too young to get a vaccination. So it's not as if the parents just blew it on that one. It's that the baby was then exposed to somebody who had the measles. I don't. I don't understand this. I don't understand the mental gymnastics that you go through. Well, you're making the decision for your kid, but you're making decisions for other kids, too. Yeah. You know, when when you don't vaccinate. Now, most people born before 1957 have been exposed to measles. If you've been exposed, if you've had measles, you are immune. If you've had the measles, you are immune. The first vaccine came along in 1963, but... Doctors say the first vaccine recipients may not be in the clear, that the first five years of the vaccine, some batches of them were not very good. And you don't know which batch you got. You can get your blood tested or just get the the measles booster, which is cheaper. From 1968 to 1989, they only gave one shot. Then they started doing two shots. So if you were... From 1960, born between 1968 and 1989, you're going to need that booster shot. That That's means me. us. That's you. Yeah. But Nick and Blake got the two-shot treatment because they were born in 2010. So I feel like they were. <laughs> they were not born in 2010. Although, it may, it, yes. It probably to me, 1997 and 2010 are like the same things. Uh, now, the the thing is that this is, we've said this before in all of these discussions about measles. It's spread by coughing and sneezing. It's an airborne thing. It can stay in the air for a couple of hours uh, after someone coughs, coughs and sneezes. 
and you're at risk of getting measles for about 21 days after exposure, high fever, cough, runny nose, rash. Blake, you said you're you're coming down with a little something, but you're certain it's not measles. Yeah, no, I'm good. It's just your old-fashioned cold is what you're looking at. You're just a little throat, little, uh, you know, post-nasal drip. Complications from measles can include pneumonia, encephalitis, ear infections. That can lead to hearing loss. Oh, my gosh. Every thousand children with measles, one or two will die. Now, we're approaching that level of a thousand. I'm not saying that the statistics mean that that means one or two are going to die because I haven't heard of any fatalities yet. But the measles are spreading because, as we've said multiple times, fewer and fewer kids receive the vaccine because of fears that it causes autism. It does not cause autism. Don't believe me. Do all of the research that's necessary. Uh, and it's easy to come by. Oh, here's another suggestion. Ask a freaking doctor. That's an idea. I just looked up if you can get this at the CVS, and you can. You can? Yes, you can. Oh! You can get measles at CVS? <laughs> you can get the booster oh, shot. Oh, the booster shot. Got it. <laughs> I mean, you could if I mean, somebody was in get, there. Yeah. Um, listen, one of the things that they were talking about was the kid uh, who was involved, the kid at Orange County. There's a potential that they may have, because they were at the hospital... Children's Hospital Orange County emergency room on April 28th, April 30th, and May 2nd. So there's a chance that you could be exposed by going to the emergency room. Wow. I'm curious to know what the vaccination rates are. I mean, how prevalent are the measles people? Are they, are there little, um, I remember the last time I kind of dug into the numbers, there were little isolated Pockets. Pockets yeah. where, you know, it's like an echo chamber. I, I think Manhattan Beach was one of them where the, the, the vaccination rate was very low because people get into each other's ears and they start talking about everything. And- yeah. It's it's weird. It, it's a weird conversation to have. I have not engaged with people on the, the social medias who do this because it's not there. It's not a. It's not a rational conversation because. People get so emotionally invested in something like this, and it's a uh, it's a strange conversation to kind of be on the outside you know, outside of just sitting there sipping my tea. That's all, keeping it light and, and airy. Hey, I uh, wanted to remind everybody that coming up on May twenty fourth, our next news and brews. We're still a couple of weeks away from it, but it's an opportunity for you to throw this on the calendar. This is going to be a special one. Last year. We were up at Bravery Brewing in Lancaster just before Memorial Day weekend, and we're going to do the same thing this year. So May 24th, which is the Friday of Memorial Day weekend, is when we're going to start things up. And there will be uh, services out there for uh, Veterans Affairs. If you have problems with uh, getting your VA benefits, there are going to be people out there to help you out. There's an organization that's going to be giving away a car to a veteran, free haircuts for veterans. Uh, just a great opportunity to go We're not going to be doing those, though, right? We aren't doing those, but we're going to be there when they happen, that's for sure, because it's going to be a lot of fun. So anyway, this is going to be at Bravery Brewing in Lancaster, and they are introducing a new beer on Friday, May 24th. It's called KFIPA that we started brewing a couple of weeks ago. Producer Nick and I were up there, a couple other people to get that ball rolling, and it will be ready, they say, on May 24th. All right, coming up next, after Amy's news, Royal Baby update. We've got a Game of Thrones update. Who did what with that coffee cup and everything 
everything else everyone's talking about as well. Gary and Shannon will continue. If you feel it, could you let me know? They took that switch pitcher out. He hit three people in the inning. Well, that's because he kept changing sides. Pick an arm. You know, throw right-handed, throw left-handed, pick one. Stay, pick a lane. I know he was on the Dodgers for a while, but the Giants picked him up recently and put him in this game today. Pat Venditti. And uh, he pitched lefty to Joey Votto that I saw and then hit Puig and hit a couple of people. It's getting out of hand. Getting out of hand in Cincinnati. The bottom of the sour. We're going to get into Swamp Watch. Talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. A little bit more about our military moves. Two U.S. guided missile destroyers carried out a freedom of navigation operations in the South China Sea today. But also John Bolton talking about the USS Abraham Lincoln Carrier Strike Force, uh, Carrier Strike Group. That's making its way towards the uh, Persian Gulf. Talk about all of that coming up at 1230. Hey, what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. President Trump's former attorney and personal fixer, Michael Cohen, has reported to prison today to begin serving his three-year sentence. This as at a facility that Forbes once ranked as one of America's ten cushiest prisons. Of course, Cohen convicted for crimes including tax evasion, lying to Congress, campaign finance. He spoke to reporters in New York City before he made the 70-mile trek to Otisville Federal Correctional Institution. And he said that upon his release, I'm quoting now, I hope that when I rejoin my family and friends that the country will be in a place without xenophobia, injustice, and lies at the helm of our country. That's a parting shot. Why are we listening to Michael Cohen? What? He and uh, Michael Avenatti... Two of the worst human beings I think we've seen in the modern era. And we still give these guys uh, microphones for them to spew their, uh, you're a better person. Anyway. You know who else is in there? Uh, the fire Festival guy, Billy McFarland. <laughs> oh, and, he's at Otisville? Yeah, and so is Mike the Situation from Jersey Shore. Oh, they're going to have a great time. That would be a great time. Uh, Royal Baby is out. Yes, the baby's out. James and Alexander are the new favorites for the name. I don't think it's going to be either one of those. Well, you don't. What do you know? Excuse me. What do you think it's going to be? I think it's going to be something exciting, like and Oliver new and different. Arthur, uh, Oliver, uh, Arthur, maybe. Do you the think it's is... going to be like an androgynous name? Yes, I do. Actually, like Piper. No. Piper was one was on our list actually. Piper was on my my brother's uh, my brother's wife's list. Piper would be quite a good name. But then they never had a girl. Well, then they wanted to name the girl Piper, I think. Um, the uh, the the baby, the first baby of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan, is uh, considered probably a lord because Prince Harry's not expected to become king, so he would remain a duke. Well, anyway, uh, we don't have a name on the baby yet, and. Uh, did you call? I don't... I'm going to talk to her coming up um, in about 10 minutes or so. The queen? Yeah, because she texted me earlier and she's like, hey. Enough with the baby, am I right? Is that what she wrote? Well, it was a meme. Oh. But yeah. Yeah. There's a private jet that took off from Vegas yesterday and has 
vanished. Um, it never arrived. And then they found it in the mountains there. Uh, 14 people on board apparently oh. were in Vegas to see the fight. The Canelo fight. <clears throat> they yeah. said the, the flight controllers lost contact with the plane over the northern state of Coahuila. And it was on its way to Monterey, apparently, um, but never made it. Uh, Game of Thrones last night. No spoilers here, except if you haven't seen it yet, watch for the coffee cup. Yes, I think we can say that and not get in trouble. (laughs) Right. Okay, I watched it and I didn't see a coffee cup. I didn't see it either. And I see the screen grab. I have it in front of me. So I know exactly what scene it is. I saw the first half and I know what scene it is. I never notice the things in the background. This This is in the foreground. This isn't even like, it's not like a guy smoking a cigarette behind everybody. This is a, this is in the foreground. Here's the thing. Game of Thrones is not a period piece. It's not uh, hearkening back to a time when there was no Starbucks. There could be a Starbucks in another land. Oh, there it is. (laughs) You told Vic the Brick that it's not a period piece. Yeah, he's still, he's still hanging on to the whole He's you know. pretty convinced that there were dragons in the medieval times. Right. So. He's he's saying it happened in the time of dragons. Are there dragons in the Bible? No. No, but there are beasts that don't oh, get names. Oh, sorry that I don't know every single thing about the Bible. I'm so sorry. Are there dragons in the Bible? <laughs> Still sour about that conversation we had. Dragon right? occurs 21 times in the Old Testament. What? It can probably also be interchanged for serpent, so, I guess. What there. version of it? The King James version. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's what is yeah, that the not... Komodo dragon. Right. You don't know the Bible as well as you thought you did. Well, not the King James version. You just got all haughty with me. Maybe that's what they'll name him, haughty. King James, haughty. Prince James. Uh, I don't think James is in there. Oh. Psalm one forty-eight seven. Praise the Lord from the earth, you dragons. About that. Ah, evidence that there were dragons in biblical times. Uh-huh. You've hey. nailed it. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh, Spider-Man. the Spider-Man thing. Tell me more. So, you did not get, spoiler alert, an end credit scene in Avengers Endgame. And people stayed and watched, sat through the whole thing waiting for the end credits. There never was one. There isn't one if you go to see it. Okay. But the new trailer that's out for Spider-Man Far From Home has some of the same footage that we've seen in some of the other trailers, but there's a whole new context because Peter talks about Tony Stark at one point and says, everywhere I go, I see his face. I really miss him. Oh, my gosh. Stop it. I'm already getting sad. Now, I'm afraid to watch the trailer for Spider-Man because I have not seen Avengers Endgame yet. I will watch it for you. And, and blow everything. No, and tell you if it's uh, it gives away anything. You're really good at hiding spoilers. I'm not good at deceiving. I'm shaking my yeah. head. Yeah. I'm not good at that. Nope. Pretty open book. Uh, Mysterio uh, is involved with this, and he's there because of a dimensional rip caused by the Infinity Gauntlet. So okay. that's just made my head hurt. Yeah, all of us too. Yeah. All right, we will go live to London when we come back. Gary and Shannon. Oh, and we also have your chance at $1,000. I love that idea. That's a great idea. And remember, you got to answer the phone. You don't pick up. They move on. Your next chance to win $1,000 coming up next hour and all through the first hour of the Conway Show, Monday through Friday, starting at 5 a.m. right here on KFI. 
At uh, 12.30, we jump into Swamp Watch every day and talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. We'll talk about a few things, including the House Judiciary Committee. Looks like they're going to vote to try to hold Attorney General William Barr in contempt. Uh, But the Republican, the top Republican on that committee said the Democrats have launched a proxy war smearing the attorney general. We'll talk about all of that. Have you heard of this new uh, high-profile fursuit economy? Fursuit. Yes. Well, you know the furries. There's apparently a upper echelon furry market for people who want to spend a little bit more on their... uh, on their apparel, yes. the furry apparel. Uh-huh. Some of these, some of these fursuits have, are selling for more than eight thousand dollars. Eight thousand dollars on a fursuit? Yeah, I'll, we'll tell you more about it coming up in the one oh, o'clock great. hour. That's good. <laughs> I know you want more. Can't wait for that. All right, so go. royal baby, let's go check in with uh, with London. Did we get her on the phone? Is she mildly sober enough to where I'm going to understand her words? Watch or, it, oh, watch it, she, watch sorry. it. Sorry, yes, sorry, Liz. But I think you and I kind of, you know, we we're in a safe space. We're in a circle of trust. Oh, good. I love I love circles of trust. Trusting. So, yes. what, what are you going to name that baby? What's going on? I have on? no idea. You're over anyway. it. Uh, the the Duchess of Sussex has very interesting theories about what babies should be named. Oh, really? Like oh, what? she wrote. I don't know if you followed her blog. Mm, not she me. Is it? No? no, I did. I followed that religiously, and that was long before Harry had ever touched, uh, po- uh, dated Megan. Uh, she said she would love to name her child. Gray, like the color. Oh. Yes. Works for a boy or a girl. Gray. I kind of like that. Is that a true story? I would never make something up like that in a circle of trust. So what happens now? Um, you decide the, the title for the baby and no, then you send I'm that just, over. Let me, let me break some news for you here. I'm just going to call it Lord. Nothing exciting or special or new or interesting. Or Lord of what? Lord of, Lord of uh, Sussex. Sussex? How <laughs> do we say it? Sussex? Because everybody knows there's no way I'm giving up my throne to Charles. So uh, I'll just wait and uh, probably give it to William. He's a handsome young man with very little hair. I'll probably give it to him. He'd be a good king. Good King William, which means Harry will never be the king, which means the little baby will never be a prince. So we just call him Lord. Did you watch Game of Thrones? Yeah, you know, uh, doesn't really strike a chord with me. I mean, Cersei and the dragons and the coffee. I was most interested in that very large woman getting it on with the one-handed man. Oh. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously. <laughs> How many gins are we on today? I mean, it's a big day. You're it's gonna... a celebration today. It's already 8.30 in the e- almost 8.30 in the evening. We've gone well past tea, which means we're on number seven and probably looking at 12 before the night is through. 
Hey, what's the over under on how Philip lasts? I feel like this is like a been a weekend at Bernie's situation, and uh, maybe he's not with us anymore. But you just still kind of prop him up uh, from time uh, to time. If only, am I right? No, he's still hanging around, still breathing, still hooked up to the machines that go beep beep beep, and they still work. So, so. when they they're going to bring the baby over, I guess at some point, no, do you I don't uh, change to. the nappies yourself? Or oh god, no. When's no. the last time you changed a nappy? 1937? I want to say October of 1937. It was a last particularly memorable oh, one. Oh, boy. I tell you what. It was as if applesauce exploded in a chocolate bar factory. That's what it looked like. Oh, my gosh. Do you want to hear something so embarrassing, Liz? Listen, I sleep with Prince Philip every night. You cannot embarrass me. So the building manager here at KFI had Mm -hmm. to send out a company-wide email Mm -hmm. telling people to clean up after themselves in the Mm -hmm. bathroom. Well, imagine, if you will, when Buckingham Palace had pit toilets, and all we could do was hike up our skivvies up around our waist, lean back, and give it all you got. That was a dirty bathroom, I'll tell you what. (laughs) Okay, Uh, anything else? Uh, Do you like the baby season? Do you like this time with all the attention? Or or are you not keen on... on Well, actually, if you don't mind, I have a question for you. Yeah, shoot. Uh, I was doing a little bit of research. Uh, Megan had very nicely asked me if I had any suggestions for baby name, and I said, well, definitely don't call it Gray. That's stupid. Lord uh, Gray is cute, though, isn't it? Right. Yeah, but it feels like a Game of Thrones character. It does. That's yeah. why we all like it, I yeah. think. Uh, no, my question is, I was doing research, and I found the most famous boy's name in the United States. Okay. Liam. No, that's not. I'm not making it up. Noah is number two. Oh, you're talking about right now. Those are the most popular. Yes. Ones. Good. I like what it. else would I do? Well, 1982, the most famous boy's name in the United States was Liam. <laughs> Hello? Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Happy baby making. All right, coming up next, uh, Swamp, happy baby making. Is that what she said? I didn't hear that last part. (laughs) Coming up next, we have Swamp Watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Biden, is he electable? You know, I heard, I think it was on the KFI Millennial podcast, that they were saying something to the effect of, if you elect Biden, it's just like electing another Republican. Like, that's how, and, and that's what I thought would be the line of thinking for the millennials that they look at a Joe Biden and they see old people are Republicans. Yeah. Wow. Well, it would help if they read a book. Well, I, I think some of the kids who feel that way are, you know, Bernie Sanders, uh, socialists and they look at a Biden and they think that that way of thinking is too conservative for them. I have a funny uh, socialism story, too, when we Mm. come back. Socialism talk on Gary and Shannon. (laughs) 
Gary and Shannon. Coming up at 1 o'clock, two airplane incidents over the weekend to tell you about. One coming to us from Florida, the other in Russia. The uh, We just talked with the Queen. The formal baby announcement has been posted at Buckingham Palace, saying that the Queen welcomed the birth, Prince Harry and Meghan's son. Now her eighth grandchild, seventh in line to the throne. Uh, no name yet. But we know everything's uh, supposedly healthy and happy, and Megan's mother was there, I guess, for, uh, to be there with her during the birth. 12.30, we dive into Washington. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp launch. Looks like two U.S. guided missile destroyers carried out freedom of navigation operations in the South China Sea today. Yeah, that's just one of uh, one of the military stories we wanted to get into. Elizabeth McLaughlin is covering the story for us from the Pentagon today. Elizabeth, what's going on with uh, with these uh, missile destroyers in the South China Sea? Hey, good morning, Gary and Shannon. Uh, yeah, we heard about that this morning. Uh, the confirmation from the U.S. Navy that there were two U.S. guided missile destroyers that went through uh, near disputed islands in the South China Sea. And this is significant because China lays claims to these islands that they have begun militarizing in recent years that are also claimed by some other countries in the region. And so what the Navy does is they like to sail through these islands to prove a point, basically, to say that this is international water and that the U.S. and other nations has every right to sail in that area. Uh, that, of course, comes on the heels of the big announcement from over the weekend as well that the USS Abraham Lincoln carrier strike group was going to be moving towards the um, uh, towards closer to the Middle East. Can you explain what we know about uh, what has been described as a specific threat from Iran? Yeah, so we've been talking with officials of the Pentagon here uh, this morning who said that it really was a credible threat against U.S. forces uh, at land, specifically in Syria and Iraq, and then at sea. Um, and, and this was by Iran, but also its proxy forces. Uh, they have several uh, groups that they back in the region, uh, Hamas being just one of them, Hezbollah. And so uh, this was a response to those credible attacks and to be able to have assets in the region to respond if necessary. Uh, the acting Secretary of Defense actually just tweeted recently uh, saying that he, he kind of described it as a prudent repositioning of assets in response to these threats and said that he would hold the Iranian regime accountable for any attack on U.S. forces or our interests. But this is, I mean, this is really a, a big decision. The Navy usually doesn't forecast where these carriers go. They're very secretive. They don't want to telegraph uh, where we have ships. And so to go ahead and on a Sunday evening put out a statement saying we're, we're going to send a carrier strike group and a bomber task force into the Middle East uh, sends a strong signal. Has there been any official statement from Iran uh, in response to this move? Well, they, they're trying to call the U.S. Uh, on its on its bluster here. And, and you know, part of that is, is partly true in that this carrier strike group was already operating in the Mediterranean and it left back in April. So it wasn't like this, this carrier deployed specifically to uh, send a message to Iran, but it really is an expedited movement into the Middle East uh, from the Mediterranean. And so that's, that's 
that's kind of what we're tracking right now is how quickly will this carrier move from the Med in through down through the Suez Canal there and then get into the region so that it could respond should there be an attack on a U.S. interest or troops. There's no carrier group there right now. Is there in the Persian Gulf? No, the closest one is going to be is is the uh, is the USS Lincoln, which is the one that we're talking about right now, and that's in the Mediterranean. So these are, you know, the carriers along with the other ships that join them on on these groupings. It'll take them, you know, probably maybe even a week, right, to get all the way uh, if they decide to go into the Persian Gulf, but even certainly to start transiting that direction. Um, and there are thousands of U.S. Navy sailors on board that ship. All right, Elizabeth, Elizabeth thank, thank you. you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet. Elizabeth McLaughlin there from uh, the Pentagon reporting for us and for ABC News. Uh, in a statement, John Bolton said that this move was in response to the number of troubling and escalatory indications and warnings, but didn't provide any of the specifics about what the threat might be or could be. We heard Brian Suits earlier, host of Dark Secret Place, join us, and he was talking about the potential for Iranian proxies within Iraq potentially targeting Americans who are in Iraq as well. So, oh, they put Pablo Sandoval in to pitch now. What? They've given up. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's a, he is uh He had a double-double. Yes. Yes, sir. Hey, Cory Booker has a new idea. He wants to have all gun owners licensed by the federal government, a process that would include an interview and safety training. I um, hmm. I think at first blush, I, I'm not incredibly opposed to all of this, but I don't, uh, I don't imagine that a lot of current gun owners are going to like this idea. Current gun owners and first-time buyers would be subject to the federal license requirement. There would be a transition period that would allow current owners to come into compliance. I do think that there's going to be pushback about the potential for this to be a basically masquerading as a federal list of people who own weapons. And that's one of the things that people have fought against for for quite a long time. But the idea of requiring uh, safety classes, I don't have a problem with that. No. It's it's one of those things. Um, There is no national gun license program that exists. There are 13 states and D.C. that have enacted some form of licensing or permit rules before you can buy guns. Uh, But uh, this is – I don't know – if gun ownership, gun licensing, if this issue rises to the level of being a specific issue for uh, for the presidential campaign, just not quite certain that this is. It's interesting which topics they're picking out. Yeah, you know, it's like every week we're finding out that they, they want to spend what was it like ten trillion dollars or something or five trillion dollars for global warming was right. that uh, Beto's thing last mm-hmm. week. Yeah, you've, I mean, there's a certain list. You could probably come up with eight or ten right off the top of your head. You've got to have a position on those issues, mm-hmm. abortion, gun control, Social Security. But uh, what are you going to hang your hat on? Right. What's going to be your issue that you go to bat for in this campaign? And they've got to figure out what matters to people, and I don't know. I wonder if that's part of this process. Like oh, you come okay. up with, you, you have eight specific issues. You come hits. up with your positions, yeah, and then see which one gets the most resonance. Yeah, um, brief story for you. Mm-hmm. My one of my nephews is uh, twenty-two, and one of those um, Bernie Sanders socialists types yes. into it. He, he and his girlfriend both, and um, 
he is going to be moving in with the girlfriend, right? And so she pays the rent now. And he proposed that when he moves in, because he, he doesn't make as much money as she does, that it should be how much rent they pay should be based on how much money they make. So since he makes less than she does, she should be paying more. And she said, absolutely not. Get the hell out. (laughs) You're going to pay the same thing if you move in. So it's like on one hand, it's like, yes, I like this idea of of taking from the rich and giving to the poor. uh, When it was a practical application in their life, it didn't go so well for the richer party. It's amazing how that happens. It's so crazy. Isn't that interesting? All right. We'll continue with Swamp Watch in just a moment. Top of the hour, Alex Stone's going to join us more on what happened over the weekend. A couple of uh, plane crashes. One, a Department of Defense charter plane, Boeing 737, went off the end of a runway. And then uh, a different different plane, much different outcome as well. In Russia, plane landed while it was on fire. Uh, about half of the people on board were killed. We'll talk about that. Alex, coming up at one. Joe Biden off to quite the great start of a campaign Clearly the front runner there in that crowded field of Democrats. What is it, 22 people? 21, 22 people? Depends on if you consider Michael Bennett, Eric Swalwell, uh, and others actual candidates. No. Oh. I didn't even hear those I would, names. I would say there's probably eight yeah. viable candidates for, for, the, uh, for the nomination. Biden was campaigning on Saturday in South Carolina. Apparently, he, they said, showed his age at times. He was rambling through parts of his address on Saturday. He lost his train of thought, lost the audience more than once. 76 years old. It's going to be hard for him to keep up a a pace that you're going to have to keep up to run for president. Yeah, I think that's going to be a huge issue for him. As much as people like him, as much as people like his connection to Barack Obama and the eight years of the Obama presidency, there... There's enough of a challenge facing him over the course of the next 18 months that that this could potentially be his downfall. Just the fact that it's going to take so long to get from here to there. Gilda Cobb Hunter is president of the National Black Caucus of State Legislators. And she says, I think he's the front runner, but it would be a mistake to think that is going to last. She says, for one thing. The African-American vote's going to be fractured, given the presence of all the all of the candidates of color. Um, at that rally on Saturday, many voters talked about Kamala Harris as a top choice behind Biden. I've heard a lot of a lot of discussion about who Biden would pick, assuming that Biden would be. It would have to be Biden Harris. That's it's that's really the, the only one, right? Yeah. I mean, it's. You've got to have a woman and you have somebody of color as well. You can't. I mean, the only other woman of color, if I'm recalling just off the top of my head, would be potentially Tulsi Gabbard. But that's it. Uh, And nobody knows who Tulsi Gabbard is. So you're right. I think that may be if you were to put early money on it right now, that would probably be the choice is is a Biden-Harris ticket. Uh, Michael Cohen 
spent some time in D.C. and apparently tried to get a job in the White House, but uh, is going to the big house instead. <laughs> Look at you. Michael Cohen, of course, the president's fixer at one time, left his $9 million New York City apartment and made these comments today before he headed to a federal penitentiary in upstate New York. I hope that when I rejoin my family and friends, that the country will be in a place without xenophobia, injustice, and lies at the helm of our country. just find it so rich that this guy, for years, did some of the dirtiest maneuvering possible and now has found, he's found Jesus. He's found a, pardon the, he's found a way to become the, you know, the cleanest guy in, in the entire country. Well, that was uh, the way he was, and now he's evolved. And now he's turning over a new leaf, and he's going to live a moral life. Uh, I'm willing to give him, well, I shouldn't say him. I'm willing to give a lot of people the benefit of the doubt that there is a potential for people to change. Wouldn't Jesus do that? Yes. Don't you need to be more like Christ-like? Well, I'm saying I just... You're gonna have to prove it to me. Yeah, I mean, for you can't do this for years and years and years, and then just one day realize you got your pants handed to you in court, and now that's when you've decided that you've changed. I wonder what more secrets we he will be spilling. I can't wait, but I can't. I don't know if I can believe the stuff that he's going to say. That's the thing. Now. He's just not a credible person. Um. The intersection of sports and politics is always an interesting one. Uh, The Boston Red Sox are supposed to be at the White House on Thursday to honor their World Series win against the Dodgers last year. As most national champion teams from a bunch of different leagues will go to the White House and get some um, attention from the president, the Boston Red Sox manager Alex Cora says he will not. He will not be going. Speaking of the Dodgers, uh, went out to Petco for the game on Friday night. In beautiful downtown San Diego. That stadium, that city is just such a joy, such a delight. The stadium's great. The accessibility is wonderful. There's no lines. Everything's clean. There's great food. It's just such a, a civilized experience. It's so nice. And it just makes you realize, you know, what Dodger Stadium could be. If they uh, if they made some changes, if they put a giant four story brick building in left field, there's that too. I love that building, <laughs> so cool. What is it like Western paint or something? Uh, um, but it was crazy. Everybody, it, it it was all Dodgers fans. I mean, there were Padres fans, but it just felt like the entire series down there was just filled. That place was filled with Dodgers fans. Dodgers fans travel very well, yeah. and there are a lot of them around the country too. I mean. Just um, and San Diego is probably a great example, but they were just in San Francisco a couple of weekends ago. Was it the beginning of last week? And it was odd to watch the coverage in San Francisco, where they would do isolated shots on a player at first, or some you know somebody standing there. The entire crowd behind that person is in Dodger blue or right. Dodger jerseys, and and it, that's a weird thing. You know, I don't think you see that in other. It's uh, that Pantone uh, 294 or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. They, they, it's like the, the, the group that travels. They do a great job of it. All right. Hurts my heart. Coming up next, two airplane incidents over the weekend. The one in uh, Russia killed 41 people. People are trapped in this burning plane. I'll get you an update on these when we come back. To Gary and Shannon. Oh, my, my, my. 
listen to the Associated Press. The improbable love story between an American actress and a British royal took the best of all possible turns Monday with the arrival of a healthy baby boy. Wow. It's very poetic. Isn't it? It's almost flowery. like the first royal baby ever. The uh, Justice Department says they're going to think about a meeting, maybe reaching some sort of an acceptable accommodation with the White House Judiciary Committee after the chairman scheduled a vote to hold the attorney general in contempt of Congress. Uh, the reason uh, Jerry Nadler did that or is uh, thinking about doing that is because he wants the entire report, the entire Mueller report. The assistant attorney general has proposed the meeting for Wednesday. This is supposed to be the same day as the vote on contempt. So we'll uh, we'll hear more about that in a couple of days. Well, it's called Munchausen by Internet, and we're going to talk about that coming up next. It's all about f- people who fake illnesses online to get attention or money, or what are their motivations? We'll talk about it. A couple of air crashes over the weekend, one that was a near disaster and one that definitely was a disaster. ABC's Alex Stone reporting on both of these stories for us. Alex, what's going on? Hey there, guys. Yeah, the, the one that was disaster, uh, Aeroflot Flight uh, 1490 in uh, Moscow. They were uh, in the air for about 30 minutes. They were heading up north. Then something happened on board. They turned around and they came back. And uh, the Russians say they don't know why this plane came down so hard that in video you see the plane bursting into flames when it hits the ground. Uh, there were 41 total dead right now. Most were in the rear of the plane and, and couldn't get out. That number may go up. And we found out a little while ago that one American was on board. His name, Jeremy Brooks, from New Mexico. We just a couple of minutes ago heard from his good friends. Here's how they described it. To us, Jeremy was invincible, you know. uh, To to know if if you knew where Jeremy would go fishing, you you wouldn't worry about him. You know, he, he went into some remote, remote places in search of his passion, you know, the the trout. Yeah, the trout. He was a fishing guide in New Mexico, and uh, several theories. Uh, there's pilot error, lightning strike, plane malfunction, mistake by air traffic control. There is one Russian media outlet, guys, who is, they're reporting that they've talked to the pilot who survived, and the pilot claims they were hit by lightning, that they lost their radios or communication, they lost their autopilot, and they turned around and came back and then hit the runway and burst into flames. But we don't have any way to authenticate that right now. Nobody knows really what happened. Yeah, and, and hit the runway. You mentioned that. That 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 plane hit the runway a few times before it finally uh, stayed on the ground. Yeah, it hit so hard that then it bounced back up and then slammed down again. And then that's when, in the back of the plane and coming out of at least one of the engines, you see this big ball of fire. And then the, the rest of the plane goes up. There are stories of heroism coming from those who were on board of, a flight attendant in the back of the plane who tried desperately to get that back door open, couldn't, then stayed on board trying to get everybody to move forward. He died in the, in the fire. There were 37 who got out on the emergency chutes, but uh, total 78 on board, 41 people didn't make it out. And people, you could see people getting their carry-ons as they escaped from this burning plane. And we were wondering earlier, how does... How does that work into the calculus of getting off a burning plane? You, but it, it, you mentioned that, and, and just before I called you, the uh, U.S. Flight Attendants Union put out a statement, and that's what they're focused on, that they're angry looking at those pictures and that video where you see people evacuating by with grabbing their bags. So they say that slows down the evacuation. That They say that they can see the carry-on bags as they were getting out. They say, quote, as a flight attendant, that is devastating to watch. 
we will never know if more lives could have been saved if the bags were left behind. That, yeah. And we've seen that before uh, here, even domestically, when people have maybe it's not real serious, but when they they land and they pop the chutes because of smoke on board or something else and everybody makes it out okay but it's amazing to see the video of everybody coming down with their carry-on bags that they grab those they get the roller bag and then they go down the chute with that roller bag and it does slow everybody down Mm. now the other story that we're talking about is this uh, chartered plane this boeing 737 that was on its way to uh from gitmo up to uh, florida what happened on friday yeah, this is what they call rotator service, uh, that the military calls it. It's twice a week, uh, flights between U.S. and Guantanamo Bay. This one had civilian and military personnel on board. They were flying in from Gitmo. They uh, landed in Jacksonville, Boeing 737-800, not Max 8, but an 800. Uh, it's a uh, contracted flight that the uh, Department of Defense does with a, a contractor with a, a company called Miami Air. And why they couldn't stop on the runway isn't really clear right now this looks like it may have been a rainstorm that they were in that made it difficult for them to break uh they they landed in pretty heavy rain skidding into the the saint john's river 136 passengers seven crew on board everybody made it out safely they were standing on the wings almost captain Sully style on the hudson that, uh, that they were waiting to be rescued they say they didn't know if they were in the ocean they didn't know if they were in a river they didn't know where they were. They were rolling down the runway. They say they bounced, kind of like what we saw in Russia, but they say they bounced. It was clear that the pilots didn't have control of the plane, and then all of a sudden they were floating in water. There were four pets that were killed. They were in the belly of the plane. That part was underwater. It brought on water. But among the humans in the cabin, they all survived. Wow. Some of those pictures, that, like you mentioned, uh, Sully on the Hudson River, that's kind of what this plane looks like. It's uh... That's what I was just looking up. Yeah, and it's still sitting there right now. They haven't moved it while the NTSB and others are, are beginning their investigation. But people got out on the wings. They stood there. They, they waited to be rescued. Luckily, the plane was propped up by, it seems like, runway lights. I don't know. If you've landed in San Francisco, you see how the runway lights go out into the bay. Sure. This is kind of the, the same idea where there's almost, a, you know, a, a dock of some kind, uh, a pier that goes out that has the runway lights on it. And they hit that, and that kind of propped them up, so they didn't go any deeper into the water. And then, uh, then they were all rescued. But seems like this was a breaking issue. Uh, it's being investigated right now. That one seems a lot more clear cut than what's going on in Russia. Although, back to the Russian plane for a second. Unlike the Boeing in Florida, that Russian plane was what's called a Superjet 100, and they're known for being very unreliable. The uh, the first one that they went out and they were doing a demo flight on years ago. It crashed on that demo flight. The uh, the only airline they've been able to, at least outside of Russia, to convince to buy it has been Interjet in Mexico. Nobody else wants to touch that jet. So there are reliability issues with that one as well. Wow. Alex Stone, great stuff. I mean, not great for, you know, plane crashes, but you. great reporting. That's what I meant. I got to stop. You got doing it. Thanks, that. guys. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> you know what? Maybe by Thursday, I'll get it together. Well, I mean, you just this is new for you. Right. The whole thing, this job. Well, the Internet has a cancer-faking problem. We'll talk about it when we return. It's called Munchausen by Internet, trying to understand the motivations of people who fake sick for attention. Also, your chance at $1,000 is coming up next. How about them apples? Yeah, I love them. Gary and Shannon will continue. Oh, 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 oh.
Shannon. Don't forget, if you win that $1,000, they will contact you by phone. So you got to answer that phone, even if it is from a number you don't recognize. You get another chance to win next hour, about 20 minutes after the hour. In fact, a chance to win $1,000 once an hour, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. in the 5 a.m. in the morning, 5 a.m. with Jones and wake up call all the way through 6.20 p.m. at night, right here on KFI, the first hour of the Conway Show. Well, the Atlantic did a deep dive on what it calls Munchausen by Internet, the condition of faking an illness online, a form of obviously Munchausen syndrome in which people fake illness or actually make themselves sick for sympathy and attention. Yeah, and this is an interesting uh, confluence of these two things, of this this disorder i guess for for munchausen but also the general nature of the internet the fact that you've got basically an anonymous voice you can make up a profile be whoever you want to be be who you want to be and in this case some of these people want to appear to have cancer there are numerous groups online numerous forums where people dealing with cancer can share their experiences There was a woman by the name of Marissa Marchand, and she joined a Facebook group about it's about breast cancer, and they've got about 1700 members to that. And she joined in 2017. And she said at the time that she was it was terminal and that she was a a single mom. She was posting pictures of herself uh, going through chemo, the IV drip. Bald. She became close to many women in this group. As you can imagine, it's a real safe space, a place where you can go to vent or get support. And that's exactly what she got, an outpouring of sympathy, money in some cases, gifts, including expensive wigs, to help her deal with the costs of her medical care and raising her family. Remember, she's a single mom. One of the women who was in this group, a woman by the name of Stephanie, also had uh, stage two breast cancer. One of the people who turned to this site for support. She says that Marissa came across as genuine, loving, fun. No one questioned her authenticity, including me, says Stephanie. And I usually have a pretty active BS radar. Now, Marissa's posts gradually got a little bit more extreme. She wrote about her son and the fact that her son was being bullied because of her cancer diagnosis. She wrote that her dog had been shot. And then in December, she announced that she was out of treatment options, that the cancer had spread to all her major organs, and she didn't have much time to live. And soon enough, she stopped posting. Now, Stephanie, again... Stephanie, whose BS meter was not going off, assumed that Marissa had eventually succumbed to the cancer. But when she reached out to Marissa's family to check in, they said, yeah, she's fine. Why? Alive and healthy. And around the same time she stopped posting in that Facebook group, it turns out she was arrested in Colorado for faking terminal cancer on GoFundMe was accepting donations through multiple accounts. 
she had faked her illness to that Facebook group as well. They, they, they threw the book at her. She pleaded guilty. She was sentenced to community service. But here's the thing. The group that took her in, no questions asked, and gave her support and, and gave her a, a shoulder to cry on and all of that was devastated. They were angry. And everyone felt like they had known this woman so well. And it was just this huge sense of betrayal to prey on someone's emotions like that. You know, forget about the money and the gifts. When you're giving of somebody, you're giving to somebody emotionally, that's a huge thing. That's more important than you, than the money and the gifts. I don't I, listen. I'm thankful I've never had to be involved in a Facebook group for cancer or cancer, you know, in the family or anything like that. But the idea, just wrap your head around this line. People in online cancer support groups are routinely outed as healthy. Yeah, among 10 people from three groups this journalist spoke with recently, every person recalled someone being outed for faking at least once, if not more. There have been a lot of high-profile cases. Uh, There was, of course, the... Wellness blogger back in 2015, a woman by the name of Belle Gibson, confessed that she lied for years about brain cancer diagnosis. The nanny, Candace Ann Strang, sentenced up to 15 years in prison after pretending to have terminal cancer and scamming $30,000 in a GoFundMe campaign. In February, there was a guy, uh, the best-selling author, Dan Mallory, A New Yorker profile accused him of faking brain tumors to his colleagues several years ago. Now, he claimed after the story was published that he had uh, faked brain cancer to disguise struggles with his bipolar disorder. That's kind of understandable a little bit if you have bipolar disorder. Well, I mean, it's some decisions that you wouldn't normally make. Yeah, it's an explanation. It's not an excuse, but it's an explanation. So why? What are the motivations? When we come back, we'll tell you what psychiatrists say, uh, how these people are motivated. And what it what it says about what's going on in their own lives. Mm. Sick. Gary and Shannon. Thank you for that commentary. Well, I'm just I'm, <laughs> it, the, I, I, I said it, but realizing that that's what they want to appear as. Yes. They're sick, right. but they want to appear as actual. You know, phys- anyway, it's disgusting. All right. I don't know why I have that compulsion, but... Somebody will find out. There are worse things. Phone is broken. Trace it back to you somehow. <laughs> Gary and Shannon just saw... Well, we just saw Ken walking around the hallway. Yeah. We're going to be at the Dodger game tonight. He just said that there's people, there's things written about you online. Yeah. About your violent outbursts. Right. Do you know anything about that? No, but I'll look it up. I'll do it during the game. All right. That's good. Okay. We're talking about Munchausen by Internet. Yeah, there's a, a, a whole community of people who would go to the Internet uh, in the event that they get diagnosed with something. In this case, it happens to be cancer that we're talking about. And use those uh, online forums as, uh, as a, a way of support. Maybe it's just airing grievances. Sometimes it's... Uh, asking questions and getting answers from people who have already been through situations. Uh, just a matter of, 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 I guess, putting out there the fact that you're going through something 
and you're doing it together. You you have a community around you, even if they're not physically next to you. There are people who can actually answer questions and give you support that you need. Mark Feldman is a psychiatrist at the University of Alabama at Tuscaloosa who coined the term MBI, Munchausen by Internet, back in 2000. He says that people with the condition are often... I like I I find that interesting that he puts that that he re- a, refers it to refers to it as a condition yeah and not like this is why people do this this is why people are apples you know what I mean this is why people choose to behave this way that it's a condition he says that they're motivated to lie by a need to control the reactions of others particularly if they feel out of control in their own lives well and I in reading through this and specifically looking at that definition of this. I think all of us at least have a small part of this in us, but nothing to the degree of concocting full-on stories, and in this case, full-on illnesses, to gain people's uh, sympathy, or in some cases, money. But there's this, I think there's a certain thing in all of us where if you feel like you're not being paid attention to, you're going to come up with something that may... Whether you're a, teenage, you're a teenage yeah. girl, teenage boy, whatever situation you're in, you may come up with a story. You may embellish something in an attempt to get a little bit more sympathy than you are. I think we all know people like that. Yeah. Or or even not necessarily to get sympathy or to get attention. You just want to fit in. So You just want a connection. Yeah. You'll alter your story just enough that you can fit into a community. Don Brandley Bell is a psychologist who studies extreme online behaviors, and she says, yes, digital life encourages deceptive behavior, that the Internet makes it easier, obviously, to portray ourselves as something we are not. And trolls often justify their actions by saying the online world is not real life, so it doesn't matter what they do or say online. Uh, It's possible that some users refuse to believe their actions online have real psychological effects upon others. Now, listen, we see that to a degree. I I shouldn't say it compares very much to this. This is a minute version of it. But we see it when people will write us emails, us, uh, and they'll say, you guys are a-holes because you didn't – I don't know. You guys didn't say that brown rice is an actual rice. No, it's not even that. I mean, some people will call you the most vile words and names – you know, and then I'll write back to him like, hey, uh, we see this stuff. Like, w- is that necessary? Yeah, you're not throwing that into the ether just to exercise your, your, right. you know, your and then anger. They'll write back, oh, I'm so sorry. I did not know. I didn't realize people read these things. Or yeah. Something like that. There's comments online. Yeah. These, um, there's an interesting look because like you said, the uh, the guy called it a condition factitious disorder is what now people call Munchausen syndrome, factitious disorder. And if if you have factitious disorder, you can cause a variety of techniques to induce actual sicknesses. Some people will poison themselves or plant fecal matter in high V drips. Wow. (laughs) Now, if you do it to somebody else, that's where it becomes the Munchausen by proxy. The journalist that wrote this article says that she had her first run in with one of these people about 15 years ago, it was a Harry Potter forum and a girl who called herself Amanda claimed to be a 15 year old American undergoing grueling treatment for leukemia. She posted about getting sick 
uh, posted about feeling too tired to pick roses when gardening with her mother. And the journalist says, I was nerdy. I was a friendless preteen and I became attached to Amanda until one of the forum's administrators alerted the group that Amanda was, in fact, a 35-year-old Australian mother. They say that they, cancer is a favorite to lie about is because it's so common yeah. in the world. Well, that's the big bad boogeyman, isn't it? I mean, if you get the big C, there's an immediate amount of sympathy, empathy, whatever word you want to use for it. There's, a, there's an immediate reaction to that. And it's almost a guaranteed reaction. There are very few people who, when they say, I got the cancer, you go, it's about time. They say that the motivations of those caught faking cancer are rarely investigated on a deep level. In the case of that nanny, uh, her attorney told the court that she suffered from depression, struggled to make friends. Woman by the name of Jasmine Mystery who was recently sentenced to four years in prison for collecting money for a fabricated brain cancer treatment, told police that uh, she simply didn't know why she'd done it. Yeah, I, I, that would point to the idea that this was a condition. She does say the journalist who belonged to a cancer forum because she was diagnosed with cancer when she was 26 years old. So she joined a group... Uh, of of young women who also got cancer when the odds of getting the disease at that age are about 1 in 1,700. And she says that she thinks it, that it's just that attention and sympathy, that these cancer support groups offer levels of attention and sympathy that are unparalleled. And unconditional. Yes. Like you... if. Because the assumption is if you're going through something like that and you self... Um, you self-announce, you self-report that you have cancer, immediately people jump to your defense. Immediately. Yeah. And, or your support, whatever it is, so that the the support would be unconditional, which uh, then these people come along and just absolutely take advantage of. And and again, sometimes it's, sometimes it's clear, sometimes they're trying to get money, like that woman out of Colorado, she's trying to get money in a GoFundMe page and ends up ripping people off. And other times it's not a financial motive. It's just a weird... I need attention, and this is a place I know I can get it, and people won't ask too many hard questions of me. Coming up next, there is a luxury furry brand. Yes, and guess who's pissed off about this? The furries that are not rich furries. Uh-oh. There's a furry fight to tell you about. It's the bourgeois furry against the hoi polloi furry. How much would you pay for a fursuit? Not enough, or not a lot. Nick has a fursuit. He doesn't have a full no, I, suit. He's got he's a helmet. He's got the head. We don't. We can dump that, Blake. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny, uh, Nick, when you say that. I don't see Blake jumping towards the button. Blake, Gary, guys, that's us. We'll continue just a moment. Amy Schumer had her baby, so that's kind of funny that she had her baby on the same day that the, the Megan had her baby, so that'll give her a lot of comedy. I uh, you know, imagine having your baby on the same day a royal baby comes out. Your baby gets no attention. 
Royal Baby cleans up. I share a birthday with Walter Mondale. I share a birthday with Tom Cruise. And he gets all the attention. <laughs> wow. Uh, I got Vin Scully. Oh. That's a good one, right? And Mariana Rivera. Wow. Royalty. Two good yep. people right there. I one. mean, three good people. Thank you. The um, Moscow Dynamos. I know you pay attention to the Russia. Who doesn't? Russian hockey team. The Russia's Dynamo hockey team has a legit fursuit as their mascot. Not like a crazy, wacky, like Philadelphia Philly or... Uh, Atlanta Braves blooper, like a weird cartoonish thing. They actually have this blue wolfy looking thing as their mascot, and they get a lot of street cred from the uh, fursuit community for that. Speaking of street cred, yeah. I had a lot of it this this uh, weekend. I had a neck tattoo. I went to this beer festival, and they I, had um, temporary I, tattoos, and so I put a like a little demon, like the stone IPA demon on my neck. And I got to tell you, people treat you differently. Got a lot of respect. It didn't come off. Not all of it. Yes, it did. <clears throat> I took hand sanitizer to that thing. I woke up Sunday morning and I looked at myself in the mirror. I was like, what the hell? Who's that? Did you, you scared yourself? <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, people treat you a little differently. Zwietisich. Zwietisich. That's that high-end furry line, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. Zwietisich is the German word for second self. They sell fursuits... That cost about $6,000. I didn't realize that there was a price limit, like a ceiling, on what you should pay for a fursuit to be considered an accepted member of the fursuit community. The furry people don't like this high-end fursuit guy because, first of all, they said that buyers don't even receive a full-body fursuit and that this guy employs designers rather than tailors. The furries interpreted that as a dig at other fursuit uh, creators. Are you having a hard time with this? Are you mad that I selected this topic? Well, here's, here's a thing that happens when it comes to something like fursuits and hot rails. They're not on the same level. I'm not suggesting that they are. But when a, when a story comes up like this that doesn't normally fall within our purview of everyday activities. I'm trying to expand our horizons here, Gary. Well, it worries me that there is an, there's so much horizon to be expanded. Oh, yeah. Plenty horizon. Like in just a few minutes during the commercial break, I opened one, two, three, four different. Uh, Leave those for John, by the way. <laughs> Just Four different tabs on my little uh, my little browser here, and you can you can get lost down this world of fursuit thing. What seemed to set people off about this high end fursuit guy was that it was like the idea of a big corporation coming into fandom and cheapening the hard work of individual artists. That the furry fandom revolves around creativity and individuality. And you don't want the man to come and screw that up with his $8,000 fursuit. Well, if you were to use the comparison of Comic-Con or some other sort of uh, gathering like that where people make their own fan costumes in honor of to celebrate the characters, uh, superheroes, Star Wars, whatever, uh, that they love. It's one thing when you see a handmade, homemade costume and you go, that's pretty amazing. That's That person spent a lot of time on whatever that costume is. 
as opposed to buying it off the shelf somewhere. But at the same time, the quality of those handmade outfits, the hand handmade costumes, et cetera, I would think would drive up their prices and drive up their value. Here's the thing, Gary, if you wanted to get into this further, you don't need a fursuit. There's uh, Felix Croc is one of the people in the community. He uses an orange crocodile av- avatar online. He doesn't have a fursuit. What would you like your well, name to be? He has an online fursuit. An avatar, yeah. An avatar. Yes, I did say What that. would your furry name be? My furry name? Yeah, his is Felix Croc. I can't just I can't just use my name. I think you need to add a little something to it. I like chimpanzees. Okay, that's something to work with. Chimpanzees. But the majority of the animals that I see are Chim- usually rabbits or dogs Zees. or wolves or foxes Gary's. or coyotes. Gary's. They're all canines. I got to workshop this. By tomorrow, I will have your furry name. With an E-E-Z on the end of it? Hey, Twitter, can you help me out? What should Gary's furry name be? At Gary and Shannon. I should not hate you. I tell you what. (laughs) Draylon Dragonfox is the co-founder of Howl Toronto, a a monthly club night for Canadian furries. How to pick. Your furry name. Oh, furry name generator. Okay. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> it's generation. Are you a baby boomer? No. Oh, you're an ex. Uh-huh. Working in an office. What's your, de- what's your deepest desire? Inner and outer peace, a compassionate world, personal growth, understanding other people. Uh, Probably that last one, huh? Sure. Gosh, this is a long quiz. Come yeah. on. This is going, you're spending a lot of time and energy on my furry name. I think you're always helping out. You're a kind person. Okay. What role do you play in your friendships? Do you like to make your friends laugh? Yes. Okay. How often do you work out? Three times a week. Being generous. All of this, I've got to determine my furry name. What do you dream about when you sleep? Oh my Guys, we could finish this tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Then, do, you, do you dream of animals? No. People in relationships? Yes. Okay. If you were an animal, what would you be? Always... <laughs> a dog or a wolf? A tiger, a lion, a jaguar? A horse, a giraffe, a gazelle? A dog. <laughs> a gazelle? No. Uh, do you have a bucket list? No. Okay. okay. I think we're Are right we close? Home, home stretch here. Yeah. Cougar Dark Sky. Oh, God. That's... <laughs> Sorry. Take me Don't away. explain it to me. Take I don't want to know. I no. don't. It's I, not worth it. I don't want it to know. You don't want to know. <laughs> Look, at she's all pink and flushed. Cougar Dark Sky. Is she, is she having a hot flash? <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks. It's not my time. Her neck is still sore from the tattoo she got. Oh, yeah. I got a neck tattoo. You got a neck tattoo? Yeah. <laughs> Let's come up on the show. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it was, I forgot. <laughs> Ken's show coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Blessings. Oh, goodbye. Bye. Gary and Shannon.